Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state of the art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase Today. Visit Douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is Douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. And then you've got uh Gretchen tribute tomorrow night. How's that? I had enough of the old bastard when he was in power. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't be more excited about the show this week. I have been looking for an insider in Ottawa to take me into the world of political reporters, and you could not ask for more of an insider than this. Susan Delacourt has been covering politics in Canada for over three decades. She writes for The Star. She wrote for The Post. She wrote for The Globe and Mail, Ottawa Citizen. She's been given a Lifetime Achievement Award. She's written four books. She knows the culture of Ottawa inside and out. And she has agreed to come on the show to talk about it, to talk about the problems within political reporting in Canada, which she'll tell you in a moment, uh, have never been more grave. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. 
but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. One thing I really like about FreshBooks.com, the company that exclusively sponsors this show, is that when you create invoices through their service, it's not only really quick and easy to make and to send them, they also look really good. I used to use Microsoft Word to send invoices, and I got to tell you, comparing the two, the homemade ones looked kind of homemade. They looked kind of amateurish. If, as a freelancer, an entrepreneur, a small business, you take yourself seriously and you want your clients to take you seriously as a professional, think about using FreshBooks. Check it out, freshbooks.com. The world of journalism itself in Canada is a pretty small world. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you learn that at your peril. So the world of political journalism is even smaller, and most people in it have known each other for for years. Does that make it difficult to have a discussion about the trade itself? No, I think sometimes we that's all we do talk about. <laughs> you know, um, I think we were a bit disappointed, I say we collectively in Ottawa, when the Harper government first came to power and was definitely trying to curtail you know, the rights and freedoms of, of journalists on the Hill, just almost antagonistically playing with us. It was shocking, the silence from other reporters and other journalists in Canada. No one else stood up for, for the Ottawa reporters. We, you know, we we all get, go to these fundraising dinners where we're praising the brave people in other countries for standing up to governments, but we didn't see any of that here in Canada. And uh, I, I, fa I found it baffling, actually, that uh, that there wasn't anybody willing to stand up and say, what's going on there in Ottawa? That sounds like it's worth talking about a bit more. I mean, yeah. specifically, how has this prime minister changed what it means to be a political reporter and, and, and curtailed the press? Well, I think the, the prime minister fundamentally has a misunderstanding of what the media does, and he shouldn't, because all of us, I, and I knew Stephen Harper quite well. He was a pundit. He was a regular on Don Newman's politics show. He very much liked reporters. But uh, as soon as he got into office, he seemed to regard his problems with the media seemed to be part grudge and part practical. And 
he actually uttered a, a, a great line, a very revealing line saying, if they're not going to help us get our message out, we'll just go elsewhere. In other words, he thinks that the role of the political journalists on the Hill are not, it's not accountability or anything like that. He saw us as another power elite that had to be controlled and, or not controlled. Um, it's not like we were wildly out of control. It was the idea that we weren't helping and we weren't helping him get his message out. Like that's the job is to get his message mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Yeah. And we tend to see things that way. Yeah. And so what has he done to... Oh, well, well, first of all, he doesn't... Um, I, I think you'd be surprised to find if you came to Ottawa, you will never see the prime minister. He doesn't walk in front of the media. He never walks down those stairs in the foyer. I actually kicked up a fuss about this. One day I tried to leave the commons and the door was locked. And the guard explained to me it was because the prime minister was about to walk down the corridor. And I threw a fit, reminding him that it was my house of commons, uh, that I had, I, at the badge I wear, I pass a strenuous security test to wear. And it wasn't the prime minister's place to close corridors. So uh, they did open it. But this um, this PMO has tried harder than, well, it tries. I don't remember any prime minister's office trying to blockade uh, corridors of, of power or the... Physically. <laughs> physically bar us from... We're not allowed on the second floor anymore. Yeah. You know, you can't stand around there. And it's just... Uh, or the third floor, I guess it is. Outside the prime minister's office is a place where, you know, people used to gather to see comings and goings. But there was just a lot of pushing in the early days. No more scrums after cabinet. No more telling us when cabinet met very terse, hostile answers to the media. The whole thing was, um, it felt like high school in it, but the I think the implications were important. And I, and I think we lost that battle, frankly. You know, it's so ugly and aggressive. It really feels like in the most direct way, the press is being told, you are irrelevant and we're going to treat you uh, That's right. as an irrelevant yep. factor. Yep. Yeah, for sure. That, uh, yeah, it's a really lovely way to go to work. <laughs> And then you get into, you know, tweeting important news. Mm-hmm. As opposed, it seems like social media is uh, being employed as, a, as an end run around the media to kind of make media obsolete. Well, it, yeah, I don't have any problem with them doing that because that's what they think the media is, is getting the message out. Yeah. You know, if the prime minister's office and cabinet ministers want to tweet press releases or announcements, that's fine. It's the doing that instead of answering questions. Yeah. That's the worrying thing. And then you've got, you've got like these very tactical press events with ethnic press that the mainstream press is shut out of. And then you've got like his own little propaganda reel every week now. Yeah, the 24-7 thing is interesting. Again, it's getting the message out. Uh, the You'd have to talk to somebody from the ethnic media. I don't want to speak for them. But I take it what the prime minister's office and the conservatives have found, it's a little easier to shape your message in those places. And I don't want to be patronizing, but a lot of them depend on government advertising. I was a little shocked to find out that they were offering photographs with the prime minister. I find that icky. (laughs) uh, I don't don't go to the prime minister's garden party, but uh, I think one of the last times, uh, for any prime minister, and I think one of the last times I did go, I saw people lining up to have their photograph taken with yeah. the prime minister, and I just thought that's not right. The optics uh, are not right. For, no, we work with them. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, 
You say uh, you think that we lost that battle. The mm-hmm. journalists lost the battle when those uh, that level of access uh, was revoked. Yeah. Take me inside that battle. What kind of battle actually happened? Well, it was – what happened was uh, – I guess there was a walkout. I'm not sure how this goes chronologically, but I, I, the prime minister's office started saying that it would dictate the order of the questions and who got to ask questions. And the press gallery in Ottawa dug in their heels and said no. And I get there was I wasn't at it, and I don't agree with boycotts, by the way, either. But I, there was a, a famous tussle in public where the prime minister refused to acknowledge the journalist lineup and was trying to do his preferred questioners. And after that, he was when he uttered his famous line, um, we'll go elsewhere to get the message out. Yeah. Around that time, very seriously, the newspaper owners and editors got involved. Uh, I'm proud to say the Toronto Star, the Globe and Mail, and Canadian Press, the, uh, the top editors at all three, wrote a letter with the Canadian, there was a meeting of the Canadian Newspaper Association. All the newspaper owners got together, but the, the Star, the Globe, and and Canadian Press sort of took the ball in their hands and and asked seriously and respectfully to the Prime Minister's office, "What are you trying to do here? What?" And that letter, as far as I know, has never been answered. They, uh-huh. they didn't bother answering it. So what we decided to do was to boycott the list. Um, we would go to press events, but we wouldn't agree to the list. Right. And we would do it politely. We would just say no if they went around gathering up a list. And over the summer, uh, that, that this was in May and June of, of 2006, over the summer, Post Media, I think it was Can West then, and CTV decided, and Sun Media uh, to go along with the list. So then we would have these... So that lasted a couple of years. We would have these kind of Potemkin press conferences where some of the reporters would be on the list and others from the Star and the Globe and uh, CBC English, uh, not CBC French, would hang back and not ask questions. And finally, that's all fallen apart now too. It's, you know, the Prime Minister does... It, takes questions and appears in front of us so rarely that it's it's merely an academic exercise now anyway. So the few times when he does make himself available to the press, he has a list of who's going to ask the question. He, he doesn't know what the questions are going to be. No, no, I, no, I would no, certainly hope. No, no, no. He doesn't. Um, I, again, I haven't been to a press conference from the prime minister, I'd say, in years. Yeah. So I couldn't tell you how they go. He He sometimes will talk to the media on foreign trips. Yeah, but it's like one, two questions. So it's it, it's not even a list. It's the, what the journalists then then tend to do is get together and come up with the agreed upon list. There's a there's a great story from the. This explains why I don't go on the foreign trips anymore either. Uh, the second trip, I went to Afghanistan, his very first foreign trip, and then he went to Mexico. Uh, for the three amigos, and this was in March of 2006, late March, maybe April. And we had a press conference, a press availability with George Bush, Vincente Fox, and Harper. And each country was told you had two questions each, which is normal. And given that we were having our own press conference with the prime minister afterward, which used to be the drill, um, we decided that a Spanish-speaking reporter in our midst, Jennifer Ditchburn, would ask the 
Vincente Fox question about the uh, the Ioneros who had uh, who died in in Mexico. Uh-huh. And we wanted to ask George Bush about the passport law, the, uh, the passports at the border thing. Sure. And the prime minister's office came over and said, who's asking the questions? So we told them, here are the two. We picked Bob Fife and Jennifer Ditchburn to ask those two questions. And he tried to tell us those. We had to ask a question to the prime minister and that um, – that those two questioners were not good because one of them had to be French. And we we just told him, go away. This is none of your business. This is – and he sort of poked some of us, uh, yours truly included, and said, this is how things are going to work in the future. And, you know, just the, the whole idea that we were supposed to organize our, our questions to serve their interests – and that they would ask so nakedly sort of set the tone for what came later. You know, you, you say some of it comes out of his own personal predilections and prejudices, mm-hmm. but it also feels incredibly tactical. And it feels like yeah. this is yeah. – I mean, you've been covering politics throughout a, a number of administrations. It's probably safe to say this is the most controlled yes. PMO that we've, we've had. Yeah, and to be fair to them, they are dealing with the explosion of the information universe in a way that Martin yeah. Chrétien and you know any of the prime ministers I saw it never had to deal with. Twitter was not a factor when – even when Paul Martin was around uh, eight years ago. Uh, Facebook was new. Yeah. The, all of that stuff has uh, blogs – really were not a factor in uh, liberal years. So a lot of this control is sort of like the law of physics. The more out of control the media environment, the more fragmented, the more one-note uh, discipline mm-hmm. that the politicians seem to have. Well, I think that the calculation that Harper made was not just that he has all these other platforms to get his information out. I think that he also made a calculation based on how beleaguered the press is that, you know, you're not powerful, no. and most people perhaps uh, are suspicious of you and uh, don't – you know, especially my base. Yeah. And I can render you even more irrelevant to a point where I can trade – if I limit my access to crumbs, then more or less he can set the terms. Is that a fair you know, assessment? Yeah, of, uh, I, I think that there's a, a very optical and tactical thing at work here too. This is a prime minister who does not want anyone to think that he is comfortable in power. And if he looks at ease dealing with reporters, which he is very much, his press conferences are the most uh, lucid, uh, informed. Whenever he does give a full press conference, you get lots of news out of it because he answers questions. But he does not want that image to go back to his supporters of a guy who – who's comfortable in Ottawa. So press savvy. He's not supposed to be press savvy. That's right. Yeah. 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 No, he had, and hating us is uh, you know, is is a hobby of the conservative base. Too. Plays well out west. Mm-hmm. But in making the calculation that the press could, you know, was somewhat less relevant than it had been and could be rendered more irrelevant, I have to ask, was he right? Yeah. Yeah, he was. Uh certainly uh we saw during the last campaign, he allowed five questions a day. His plane was a hostile working environment, and it didn't mean anything to Canadians. They gave him a majority. Yeah. And the problems of the press are not the problems of the Tim Hortons Canadians. Yeah. I'm probably like a five or a six on the scale of how closely I pay attention to this yeah. stuff and how much I know about it. Yeah. I don't know what it's like from where you're sitting. It feels as if the Senate scandal didn't even happen. Yes. Outside, Yeah. 
I think that's probably right. I think we can say at this point he has survived it. He's he's dodged that one. I would wait and see. Now, the conservative MPs are, have not, are not back from Christmas yet. And when I've talked to, to members of parliament, they were hearing things out there. Uh-huh. But what they're hearing is hard to say at this point. I don't think it's done them as much damage as it feels like in Ottawa. But I think people were hearing things. The best way to sum up how Ottawa is right now is Bevoda, the Bevoda mystery. So Bevoda basically was in contempt of Parliament, lied to Parliament. That helped bring down the Harper government in two, in 2011. And she got reelected, put back in her job, and the Conservatives got a majority. Then she spent $16 for orange juice. Yeah. And that did her in. And that tells you that the way we're working right now or the way the world is right now, it is okay to be a bad parliamentarian, but it is not okay to be a bad consumer. She also just gave the press a hook with that, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a headline. But, but yeah, the, the Duffy affair too, I th- again, it's very revealing that there is a serious issue of Senate reform here. There has been for a long time in Canada. I don't think the five days of hearings at the Supreme Court got anything like the headlines that Mike Duffy's outburst in the Senate did. Yeah. And that's basically the story of, of, a, of a senator gone rogue. It's more than that, actually. The Senate scandal is not the story of $90,000. It's not the story of a bad senator. It's the story for Ottawa people of the, the working culture of Ottawa. Yeah. And what everybody is jumping up and sort of shouting about up in Ottawa is this story is is a very nice distillation of the way things have been working in Ottawa for a long time. The bullying, the enormous lengths they go to to try to make stories and problems go away for The message them. control, right. the micromanagement. That's right. The but, lying. Yeah. It's being argued to me like, well, Canadians don't really care about this. It's a minor scandal. I felt like I, I reject that outright. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, Watergate was yeah. uh, a minor technical thing. But the fact that a president was involved and the fact that a president lied and the, and the fact that the press had a bit of flesh in their mouth and wouldn't let go mm-hmm. as they and, and, and as they shouldn't yeah. is, is ultimately what brought down Nixon. And I, I mean, I'll tell you why, you know, you, you came to be here today. <laughs> I was sort of watching as Andrew Coyne was on Twitter reacting to Harper's end of year mm-hmm. interviews. Yeah. Which, you know, I have to imagine, sure, you know, that no one had to submit questions in advance, but when you're cherry picking who you're yes, going to, yeah. you have a certain amount of control and there's a cultural expectation when you're an anointed journalist who has that, you know, he would he have four of those? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you caught Andrew Coyne's tweets about this. But I did. He, so, so you know what I'm talking about. And, and he, he kind of very quickly, you know, after saying, why didn't you drill down to those journalists? Why didn't you ask some very obvious questions that Harper has yet to actually answer mm-hmm. about inconsistencies in what he knew about the payoffs and, and Nigel Wright's involvement? Uh, it, it's sort of inco- unconscionable to me. I mean, you can't imagine that happening in the U.S. or the U.K., that the press would just sort of leave it alone. Yeah. And when I asked Andrew Quinn if he would come in and talk about that, he didn't want to. And, you know, even on Twitter when people suggested, well, it seems, it seems like you're going after 
Mark Kennedy here. You one of your own colleagues. One yes. of your own colleagues, and he very quickly stepped away from that and said, "No, no, 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 no. It, you know, there are so so many questions to ask Harper, so little time. It's it's about the interviewee, not the interviewer." And with all due respect to Mark Kennedy, and I'm, I'm sure he's a wonderful professional, certainly there must be some room to say some things about how that happened and how it might have gone differently. Yeah, I I. I I again don't want to get into understandably criticizing Mark Kennedy because he, I've, I've been in those interviews too where you know you just find the thing has got a life of its own and and you can't get anywhere. Yeah. Uh, especially I think that's especially the case on television interviews. But even that needs to be said. Even yes. even if you're not going to get that answer you need on the record like here is the the yes. very specific detailed question are you refusing to answer it that's yes right. or no? Yeah. I I don't know how we went around choosing the interviewers uh he he never gives one to CBC. Usually Mansbridge gets his year end yeah. at year's beginning. So I've been waiting to see something come up. But the prime minister also didn't have his annual uh, Christmas party this year either, which is usually a chance for right. journalists to chat to him. I don't go because I don't uh, – I have a rule that prime ministers aren't off the record and that there's an off-the-record rule at that thing. Seems so, fair enough, Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I've been in trouble before for the not obeying that, but I, I don't, I don't see the point in allowing a prime minister to be off the record, and I, I don't, I, I feel very strongly that we shouldn't go to that uh, Christmas party again. Not, optics: not, the idea that there's a party where journalists and the prime minister are sharing information that the public won't hear it, it leaves a bad taste. Yeah, I, I, from the very beginning, I've been saying this too. Is um, there we were for the first year of this government being in power and taking hits on us. Another thing they do is they phone your bosses and try to get you fired, you know, which is always amusing. And all of this was going on. They had succeeded in some cases, and I didn't go to the Christmas party. And the next day I saw pictures of people singing Christmas carols around the piano at 24 Sussex, and I thought, you're making the point, you're making the Prime Minister's point that we are all a bunch of idiots, right, who can be bought off by a free glass of cheap wine, yeah. a canapé, and some Christmas carols, and then everything's fine. And everything is not fine. The systematic efforts to threaten, intimidate, or marginalize the Ottawa media are not things to be uh, sealed over with a, with a Christmas carol. Do you think that there is a timidity because you know, you've got a lot of very vocal conservatives in Canada who feel that the press are all a bunch of like, you know, liberal elites. So if you – it is not partisan in, in a, you know, anti-conservative party way for the press to say we are not objective in this one area. When it comes to getting information mm-hmm. and access to information, we are not objective. We are advocating for that. That's, that, right. that's, that's We are politically involved in getting access to information, access to interviews. Yeah. But it, do you feel like journalists are afraid to seem – partisan even in that respect. Yeah, I think there's a bit of that. I, I think that the threats to journalist jobs are real. You know, yeah. I think that the world is shrinking. I, I'm i lucky to work for a paper that doesn't listen when um, the prime minister's office or anybody phones and says, you know, fire, or reassign that. But but there are bosses in Canada that would. And I I think everybody is a little bit afraid of of having their credibility destroyed. But what could diminish the credibility more than to... Yeah, yeah. Well, I, again, I'm hard line on this, but I'm not alone. The Christmas party is a really good example of 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 where a lot of us have drawn the line. Yeah. 
I definitely draw it on the side of not going. I don't go to Tom Mulcair's or the other ones too. I technically my beat at the Star is uh, the Liberals, so sometimes I have to go to like Liberal Party parties, but I I try to stay away now altogether from that stuff. It's funny, like all the things that you can't go to. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's the cost is you lose access, or, you know. I, there's a, there's another very strange thing going on in Canada right now too. Is a lot of the comment is coming from outside Ottawa. The uh, three members of the At Issue panel do not work on Parliament Hill. Uh-huh. You know, the Toronto Star has a lot of political columnists who don't come within 400 kilometers of of Parliament Hill. There is the idea now that it's somehow easier or even sometimes a bit more credible to do commentary and columnizing from outside the Parliament Hill bubble, like we are part of the problem. Do you feel that there's anything to that conception? As a news consumer, I, I have kind of like felt as a lot of people feel like, oh, you know, this Canadian politics stuff, I can't sink my teeth into it. It seems like there's – it's all written in polling numbers. It's all written in an insular mm-hmm. language that I can't relate to. It doesn't seem to have the drama of American political coverage. And then people conclude Canadian politics are just boring. <laughs> and is that some Ottawa political reporting cultural thing? Is that true? Is it just more mild here? Or is it about how stories are presented? Well, I do, I do think you've got a point that the reporting on tactics is a phenomenon that's about 15 years old. It predates the conservatives. And I remember seeing it happen and thinking, well, that's interesting. Now, there was one story in particular I saw one day, and it was all about why the liberals were going to adopt the children's agenda. And the whole thing was told with respect to constituencies they needed and geography they needed and nothing about children. Right? Yeah. There was no mention of that. Interestingly, I'm, I'm teaching a class this term, helping to teach a class at the School of Political Management at Carleton. And without telling tales out of school, literally, I found that I have to keep reminding the students that government and politics are two different things. Mm-hmm. You know, that often we're talking about government communication, it quickly devolves into political communication. And the idea of governing for all Canadians is seems to be this quaint, old-fashioned notion. But I keep reminding people, the Prime Minister's office has to represent the best interests of Justin Trudeau, whether they like him or not either. Yeah. And, uh, and the prime minister's office is not supposed to be this hyperpartisan thing trying to get people fired or or stirring up mischief and this is the first government i've seen that doesn't ask the partisans to do that job you know the the liberal party was always doing you know various things to criticize the conservatives but it was usually the liberal party you weren't, you weren't getting these missives from the pmo and that does seem more more striking now you know, it's something that's been brought to my attention. Anytime either party releases an attack ad, you can count on the press to, to just say, hey, everybody, here's an attack ad. That's right. And discuss the strategy of the attack ad. Will the attack ad work or not? They'll play the attack ad. They'll post yeah. the attack yeah, we ad. We don't. We don't. We um, only we, – we got wise to that a few years ago that we were being used as free media. And yeah. often now you see political parties releasing something simply on YouTube because then they'll get us to write about it. It's like they're throwing a little bit of you know blood in the water. And and then we'll all put it up, and they've got a free, something that would cost you know 20000 bucks in the Toronto Star is uh, free media. Yeah. So we, we don't write about the attack ads as news, even though the political parties are often telling us to. If they're buying them, and if they'll tell us how much they paid and things like that, then we'll write about them. But, but writing about them just to give them 
some more coverage we don't do anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, looking at this from like um, the numbers from the last election with the youth vote, where was it? Was that like two out of three youth didn't vote? I think that. Yeah. 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 And then, and then, I mean, the overall percentages aren't great, but it was over sixty percent. Mm-hmm. People did. Yeah. So you're talking about an incredibly disenfranchised. And the star, I think Michael Valpe just did a series about just how, mm-hmm. uh, some research on just how disenfranchised young people are in Canada in general. And you look at that incredibly low voter turnout. And you contrast it with the unemployment figures where young people, it's like there was no recovery after yeah. 2008. Yeah. We're still living in that. Uh, you know, it's, 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 these are at crazy levels, like 18% in Ontario. Like it's, yeah. it's nuts. And all of that feels quite consistent with a Harper Press agenda. It, it seems like without getting conspiratorial about it, there's just no – having younger people not connect with these stories suits the interest of one party and not the other. Yeah, I – I think due to a variety of things and tactics are one um and the 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 sheer ways in which our political system works it is possible to win majorities now and it is possible to find them through micro targeted constituencies in little parts of Canada all over the place that's the focus on these ethnic communities right yeah and you know uh, I've written a whole book on this. You know, they they actually found out that snowmobile owners were more likely to vote conservative. So what they do is they go buy the magazine subscription list for snowmobile magazine, and then they target those people with postcards and things like that. And then once they're in power, they send out press releases announcing grooming, public money being spent on grooming of snowmobile trails. Now, all of this is is because they can sophisticatedly break down the Canadian electorate into these little pockets. Yeah, Young people are not fitting into those constituencies, A, because they don't vote. Because they don't have snowmobiles. And they, well, they don't have stuff that they can, you know, they're, uh, they're, not, uh, they're not trying to buy hockey helmets for their kids or... Yeah. Or save up for education. So, this whole consumerization of uh, of the, the the electorate being turned into a series of roving markets that are being bought and sold for their stuff. That's not helped to get young people involved either. That's so messed up. I mean, it's it's because young people are disenfranchised that they shall remain disenfranchised. If you if you have stuff, you yeah. have interests. If yeah. you have interests, then you're worth marketing to. Yeah. As a demographic, not as a constituency, as a, not as citizens, but as consumers. The uh, the encouraging thing is that um, that consumer marketing micro target approach was pioneered by the Republicans in uh, the early two thousands in the states, but and Canada has imitated it. But the encouraging thing is that the United States has now moved to using that data to re-engage communities. And the United States um, voting turnout is actually going up. Mm-hmm. And the disenfranchised are actually being brought to the ballot box through using the sophisticated micro-targeting to get people involved. And I am heartened to see that the people who learned to do this for Obama have been coming up to Canada and giving lessons in this. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, it was Chris Hughes from Facebook and a bunch of young social media people, Silicon Valley people and Harvard people who really started to look at American politics as an engineering question. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I did I did a really interesting session with uh, Dan Wagner and Teddy Goff, who were Obama's uh, two key people on Obama's digital team, came to Ottawa to do a whole afternoon 
with anybody in Ottawa who wanted to learn their methods. And and the interesting thing is that all of this focus on technology and data and big data and small data has brought them around to the idea that the most effective politics is the kind that actually engages a person, keeps them uh, involved, and that their friends are huge influencers. So rather than try to find out what kind of car they buy or what kind of fitness tax credit they want, the best thing to assure somebody's vote is to find out how their friends are voting. Sure. It's like uh, WOM marketing. Yeah. The, the word of mouth is what... That's uh, right. It, I, I, it just is frustrating because it feels like, um, I mean, the name comes up a lot, maybe too much, but in the way that Jon Stewart has engaged people mm-hmm. in, in politics through comedy, but also there's this kind of like larger movement um, that just as many young Canadians I know, I don't know if it's a movement, it's a sensibility of just people who are saying like, oh yeah, I guess I'm a citizen. I guess I care about things and sometimes in a very hyper-local way, mm-hmm. but it has yet to gain traction in terms of Canadian federal politics in any way that I can, you know, anecdotally... I'd say, I'd say stay tuned. Have a look at what the Trudeau campaign is up to. Is that is that like... I, I know that's the play, and I, and I hear yep. him say the words middle class a lot, and... Uh, I don't know what that means. Yeah. Um, but I sat down not too far from this office uh, during Justin's uh, leadership campaign and watched them going through stacks and stacks of forms. Like, they are feeding information into that machine and they are the ones talking to Obama. Last week, I sat down with Jeremy Byrd, uh, who is uh, Obama's national field director, who came up and gave some uh, advice to the NDP. So it's out there. It's bubbling beneath the surface. But I don't know where it's it's going to turn up yet. But I'll, I'll be really interested to see the turnout numbers for the next election. Is there a greater role that the press could play? I mean, I, I, I feel like you, you have a principled stand about what has happened with with political reporting in Canada, and there's almost a sense of helplessness of how it's kind of been chipped away at. Mm -hmm. What can be done, not just to push back against Harper, but to kind of make this whole conversation more vital and inclusive and and to engage people? I mean, like, that is part of the job. It's not just to kind of report on politics in the the tones that we always have. It it, it is to make these stories sexy and interesting, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. That's a huge question. I'm encouraged by media like Twitter. The fact that that uh, you can see journalists doing their jobs and actually hold them to account minute by minute is a really interesting thing. I think Twitter has made me a better journalist. Yeah. I think it's put me way more in touch with my readers rather than my editors. And it's taking politics to the place where it should be, which is about conversation. So I'm heartened by Twitter's role, I think it had a a reasonably important role in the last election, but somebody was pointing out to me, even now, three years later, it's hard to imagine a a thing like robocalls, which I think was huge, and it was voter suppression, happening in the age of Twitter, because people would just start saying, hey, on Twitter, I'm being misdirected. And you can get an idea of the magnitude of people's concerns on Twitter now, I think it's reaching that critical mass, and I think by 2015, it's going to be, it's going to be where we have that conversation, and it, it, may, it, it may make us all better reporters. Assuming that they're still reporting jobs. Uh, yeah, that is an issue. Yeah. 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 yeah, that definitely is an issue. Thanks very much for talking with me about this today. Thanks for some smart questions. That was fun. That's the show. Hope you liked it. You can email me at jesse at jessebrown.ca 
I am on Twitter at Jesse Brown, and the website is CanadaLandShow.com. Big thank you today to Sean Craig. Without his help, this episode would not have happened. I make this show with Tanara Yelland, and we'll have another episode up on Monday. If you like Canada Land, recommend it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.